0: It's a pleasure to be with you uh, tonight. Um, I'm kind of fighting a cold, and uh, for some of you who don't know, I was uh, had the privilege of being, not only a member but uh, student pastor at Calvary Baptist Church for almost nine years, and I got to hug a lot of necks and shake a lot of hands. And So whatever you receive from me tonight, be it a cold or a blessing, you're welcome, and I'm sorry. Um, but before we dive into... Our time in God's Word tonight, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for sweet reminders we've already heard from your Word. Father, to the Son of God, who seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, the same Christ, who is the same God pictured in Isaiah 6, came and washed sinners' feet. Father, may we not forget, even at this love conference, that the God who has loved us is the God who is three times holy. And so, Father, let us stand amazed at the scandal that is grace. Father, I pray, as you know, I pray so very often, Would, would you please get me out of the way. I know that there is nothing anyone in this room, including myself, needs to hear from this weak, feeble man. God, I pray that as we have already had the privilege of doing tonight, seeing the worth of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we have dedicated these moments to worship you through song and worship you through time in the word... I pray, Father, that all of it would be for the hallowing of the name of Jesus Christ. Father, have your will be done. And may we, in light of the gospel tonight, leave here loving you more. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As I already said, it's an honor to, to be here tonight and worship the Lord together with you. I also appreciate the opportunity to ponder together here specifically at the Love Conference, the the weighty subject of love and all the facets that go along with it. And to help us tonight examine this together, I want to start by laying out some, some foundational realities and then see how those realities practically impact our everyday life with others. And to start, I want to start with a couple questions tonight. I want to start by asking two questions that I believe overlap one another. The first question is this. Do you and I come to worship, even at a time like this, not just Sunday mornings, but do we come to worship with a heart that is real or religious? Now, even as believers, right, we we can be tempted to just come in a religious way and check off the box. We must absolutely make war with that. But the second question, and the one that overlaps this same question that I just gave you, which if you want to have a title for this message, it would be, may we love much? The question is this, do you love much? Much. See, how do these two questions overlap and why are they so crucial? To see this first, let's start in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34 and going to verse 40. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34 says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them a lawyer. Now just pause. This is not Henson and First Type lawyer. This man was an expert in the law. He was an expert in the Ten Commandments and all the 600 plus additions that the Pharisees added to those commandments. He was an expert in the law. And notice why he came. He came asking him a question, but notice his motives. To test him. And he said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This statement that Christ says is a very big deal if this love described isn't present in your heart if it is nowhere on the radar of your spirit at all you need to have a deep honest examination of your soul now we need to be clear here no one has ever loved God as we ought But as followers of God, as those who've been purchased by Christ, we now love Him and others because He first loved us. This is what Christ says in 1 John 4, 19, famous text, we love because He first loved us, even as we've already been reminded of that tonight. So so what does it mean to love God? If if loving God is a a very big deal, what does this mean? First, let's nail down a few things of what love is not. Love is not first. Love does not equal obeying God. Okay? We know this from John 14, 15. In that text, Christ says, if you love me, if foundationally in your heart there's a love of God, if there's a, a love of God... The text then says what? If you love me, you what? Obey my commandments. See, we often live this Christian life as if that text says that if we obey God's commandments, he'll love us more. But we also think that it means that maybe loving God is just doing some obedient things. But here the text makes very clear that love. if you love me, you will obey my commandments. The picture I get in my mind is that of a tree. A tree with deep, solid, strong, long roots. You know what a tree like that does? Bears fruit. I'm going to tell you, I know the pastors who are part of this conference. The pastors who are part of this conference, nowhere on the radar of their soul is to modify your behavior. They long to aim at the roots of your heart for you to grow in deeper affection with Christ. And when deep affections and love and treasuring of Christ is deep, long, and strong, you know what type of believer you'll be? One who obeys His commandments. So loving God does not mean obeying Him. Obedience flows from a love of God. And then we also know that loving God does not mean loving others. It's the second like it. It's one of those fruit that come from first a love of God. So so what does it mean then to love God? What are these roots that we long to have deeper and stronger in our hearts? Loving God, I would say this based on the totality of Scripture, is treasuring, delighting in, being satisfied in, fighting to be glorifying God above all other things. That's why the text says love with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It means that you've tasted and seen the Lord is good and you long for Him to be your only source of hope and peace. To examine this a little further, let us look at our main text tonight, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And in this text, we will see that Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, and in Luke chapter 7, we will see that there is a direct connection between my understanding of who God is, my understanding of who I am, my understanding and amazement at the scandal that is grace, and my love level for God. There's a direct connection between those three things and my love level for the Lord. And as we look at this text, I want you to notice the three people involved in this event and how two of them have completely different postures, both physical and spiritual, toward Christ. Start with me in verse 36 through 38. We're introduced immediately to one of these characters. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and notice her posture, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. The text says here a woman who, the the phrase is who was a sinner. Most likely this woman was a prostitute. She was a lady of the city who was a sinner. And notice her posture. She comes in from behind Christ and she comes humbly broken and begins to worship at the feet of Jesus. You see her posture. But then we see in contrast... Not only the physical, but more importantly, the internal posture of the Pharisee. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. This Pharisee is absolutely appalled that Christ would let this sinful woman even touch him. And the Pharisee speaks to himself. He has this inward monologue, this inward thought. And that inward thought seeks to validate his current posture and thoughts toward Jesus Christ. We see his thought again. He says, if he was a prophet he would have known what sort of woman this was. Hear me this evening. The glorious news is that Jesus Christ knew exactly what sort of woman this was and he welcomed her. Then look at verse forty to 43 After this inward monologue, Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to ask you. And he answered, say it teacher a certain money lender had Two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. In these verses, Christ uses a story of debt to teach a great and needed lesson. He uses these language of denarii. A denarii, many of you know, was a common day laborer's wage. One denarii is what one man would receive for one day of wage. So here we see a debtor who owes 500 denarii. That's at least a year and over a half of labor, of wages. And the other owed 50 Now, we need to know this. Be clear. Christ isn't teaching that there are some people who have a small amount of sin and others who have a larger amount of sin. And those large sinners are really the ones who need forgiveness because notice what the text says. Neither could pay the debt. They were equally without any ability to pay the debt. The question is, how do you and I see our spiritual need and debt before a holy God? The reality is we are all, apart from Jesus Christ, in the same spiritual state as the harlot. And then in verses 44 to 47, Christ elaborates on these two postures of these two individuals one of the pharisee and one of the prostitute and reveals how each of them understood their spiritual need completely different look at verse 44 to 47 then turning toward the woman he said to simon the pharisee do you see this woman i entered your house you gave me no water for my feet But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, hear this, therefore I tell you, her sins which Are many are forgiven. Therefore, or because of that reality, she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Again, Jesus is not saying little or big sinners, but how these two individuals perceive their own sinfulness and need of grace. Jesus is making clear that this woman knows her need for that grace, but Simon did not see it. And then look at verse 48 to 50. It's the first time Christ in this whole story looks at the woman who has not yet ceased kissing his feet. And he speaks to her. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus Christ, the first time he speaks to this woman, says the most precious words that could ever be proclaimed to a hopeless sinner. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I ask you this evening, which way do you posture or come before the Lord? Do you think God owes you? Or... Do you know that you owe him everything? Is there any wonder, awe, amazement, which seems to be the heart of the prostitute, at the grace of God? And hear me this evening, there will not be unless you see yourself as sinful as she saw herself. I think a text that's very helpful for us to recognize the depth of our sin is Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Verses 3 through 7. Titus chapter 3. Verses 3 through 7. And notice how clearly verse 3 makes the case of the depth of our need for grace. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves... And the description he's about to give describe those who were Christians and this is who you once were or I would not be ignorant enough to say that there may be people who entered this room and this is who you still are. He said, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Didn't your self-esteem leap? Look, look at this text. Let's just make it very personal. Before coming to Christ, before Christ saved me, October twentieth, nineteen ninety-nine, Shane was a fool. Shane was disobedient. Shane was led astray. He was a slave to his own various passions and pleasures. He passed his day in malice, envy, hated by others and hating one another. But Shane could put a good face on it. That's who we were. Oh, but praise God for the first word of verse 4. But... So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I think this entire text hinges on a three word little phrase at the beginning of verse 5. And that phrase is, He saved us. Now let's examine that phrase just for a moment. Let's begin with, He. God, who Isaiah says, is infinitely holy. He's infinitely holy. He's without error and infinitely without equal. He has never, will never, and can never do anything that is wrong. Everything he has done, will do, and ever contemplating of doing is always right. He's God. Now let's pause and skip the word that should go in the middle. And let's come to us. Titus just described us. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray by our own passions and pleasures. We passed our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Ephesians says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. If I could live my entire life and commit in the eyes of the world what only seemed in their view to be One small sin. That's it. My entire life, one small sin. Hear me. That one small sin would place me in a position of eternal wrath from an infinite holy God. The reason being is because there is no such thing in the universe as a small sin because there is no small he to sin against. What should go in between this infinite chasm of he and us? It should be he obliterated us. He destroyed us. He poured out his deserved wrath on us. But it said the shocking news that he saved us. Beloved, one of the reasons that I think many churches find themselves where they do is because I fear there are people who when they heard what I just described of this infinite chasm between him and us and the shock that he would save us in Christ, instead of shock and wonder at all at the grace of God, they respond with something both verbally and inwardly that sounds like this. That sounds about right. They may love little because they think they needed little Forgiveness. One of the ways to examine if I am growing calloused to the grace, mercy, and love of the Lord is to examine my love and affection for Him. Paul gives a good challenge. And I told you I had the privilege of serving as a student pastor. And you're about to see that I listened to our pastor well. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians (laughs) 13. <laughs> and he did a paraphrase version of it I'm going to do the whole thing look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 we're going to start in verse 1 and I want you to see from verse 1 to 3 how all the outward expressions of all obedience means nothing if not rooted in love look at 1 Corinthians 13 if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm going to pause there and say this text says if if I get up here if tonight I got up here and I did not fight for speaking to you tonight out of a love first for God and a love for you it's nothing. I might as well stand up here and bang cymbals together. And I'll go and tell you, I don't know much about many things, but I do know a lot about banging cymbals together. I was in the band, okay? I played baritone saxophone. It was the big one that sounded like a cow, okay? And for some reason, our, our uh, band director didn't want us to march baritone saxophone, so I was on the drum line. I was the, the as my mother in law now affectionately called me then, a little uh, symbol monkey. I don't know if that's because I look like one or she thought her daughter was dating a moron. But I remember the very first time before summer break, I was given these symbols and I did not tell my parents they were coming and my father had no idea the weapon that had just entered his home. Right? He came home from a long day at work and I heard him come in the door and I went to my room, I pulled the symbols out of the case, I snuck down the steps and he was standing in our kitchen and he was kind of looking into the living room looking at the TV and I came up, I bet like maybe this far from the podium to myself and I smashed the ever-living garbage out of those symbols right behind him. Okay? He literally jumped from our kitchen or flew from our kitchen into the living room grasped his chest and he told me he thought lightning had struck the house. Now hear me. In that moment, my father was feeling a myriad of things. But blessed or love was neither of them. Right? This text makes very clear. If I'm not speaking to you out of this, pray for your pastors. This is a daily thing. We must work into our every week preparation. That we would just not check off. I got got the message done. May we pray that we long to speak out of first an affection for Christ and a love for our people. Because if not, your Sunday sermon just ought to be him coming up banging some symbols together. Then it says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have if I deliver up my body to be burned. So all the outward expressions of obedience, all the giving, all the speaking, all the sacrificial, even martyrdom, if I have not love, I gain nothing. And then we see, after he describes this reality, he then explains what love is, as Pastor Brandon already hit on, Look what the text says Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now I'm going to do exactly Brandon says he doesn't know where he first heard this illustration. I do. It was from him. And I'm going to do what he said we ought to do and reveal to you how much the man standing behind this podium right now is a liar. Shane is patient. Shane is kind. Shane does not envy or boast. Shane is not arrogant or rude. Shane does not insist on his own way. Shane is not irritable or resentful. Shame does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Shane bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Shane never fails. Now, if you're like me, after I just said those phrases, you may see the depth and the sharpness to which those words cut to your soul. And when this, the reason when what I just said about myself is not true, hear me. When I'm found lacking in this, it's because in those moments when I have an opportunity to be loving with a patient, not rude heart, loving with a, uh, not being irritable or resentful, when I have an opportunity to rejoice in the truth and I do not do it, hear me. It's because in that moment of not being patient, kind, it's because I am having In that moment, practical gospel amnesia. Now hear me, the remedy is not, when you see the depth of the chasm of how that statement is so false when you stick your name in there everywhere love is, the remedy is not to do better or try harder, but to rest in what Christ has done. So my hope is not in my ability to live up to my name being said in those slots perfectly, but that Christ has been to me and in my place all of them. I want to move toward closing tonight with these sweet reminders. Christ is patient and kind. Christ does not envy or boast. Christ is not arrogant or rude. Christ does not insist on his own way. I think of the garden when he says, Father, Your will be done, not mine. Christ is not irritable or resentful. Christ does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Christ rejoices with the truth. Christ bears all things. Christ believes all things. Christ hopes all things. Christ endures all things. Christ never fails. Based on this, May we love much because he first loved us. So here at the love conference, when when it's easy just to hear and soak in. Husband, when you go home and you, you interact with your wife, what will you keep at the forefront of your mind as you seek to love your wife? Your wife. With the love of Christ. Parents, as your children have been the perfect angels, they always are 24-7 a day. 24-7, 24, you know. (laughs) Hooray math. Okay when you're tempted to blow up at them and you're tempted, you're tempted to, to not show them the patient, loving kindness of Jesus Christ, are you going to love them because of them or despite them because of how you, as a child of God, have been so deeply loved? If I could press hard anything into our souls as we contemplate leaving here tonight in the middle of this love conference, whether it be loving our neighbor, loving those closest to us, for well, loving our enemies, may it be in light of the most shocking love that's ever been shown, Christ's love to you and I. Let us long to love much in light of the scandalous gospel, and may our postures be like that of the woman of Luke 7. And come humbly before our God and weep and stand amazed at His grace. Let's pray. Father, all the facets and all the ways in which we fail you. All the ways in which we are not patient, we're not kind. All the ways in which we blow it. All the ways we as pastors, even as part of this conference, speak and do sermons far too often than we would like to admit not remembering ultimately first driven out of a love of God and love of others. God, would you put before us afresh, would you remind us tonight of the infinite love of Jesus Christ and the shock of the gospel that the text of Titus would say, He saved us. Oh, Father... May, as Brandon said tonight, may it be made very clear that we are disciples by how we love one another based on the amazing, shocking scandal that you loved us. Father, we ask all of this in the precious, holy, loving, merciful name of Jesus Christ.